want to introduce it properly, we're going to take a look at a sugya that belongs to the first part of the second parak, which is about where we're at in Dafyomi. I'll bring it up right now on the share. And it is the sugya that we call Isurei Hana'ah, Isur Hana'ah. So a couple of things just to clarify from the get-go. Um, Hana'ah is typically translated uh, as benefit or pleasure. Uh, there's a te more technical word, yusufruk, but the, the word that we use for be is benefit implies anything that can be a measurable or tangible benefit, typically having some sort of financial angle to it. Uh, and so when we talk about something being asur bahana'a, whether it's food stuff or something else, the idea is that you are not only not allowed to eat from it, ingest it, whatever it may be, but also you're not allowed to get any other sort of benefit. And the classic benefit would be to sell it to somebody and make money off of it. And that is, of course, where our sugya starts, because the uh, first Mishnah on the second parak, and the second parak is devoted to the issue of biur chametz, of, de of destroying chametz, the mitzvah hashpata, on the first day in the late morning or by noon, midoraita, uh, um, has the famous dispute between Rabbi Yehuda and our mayor as to how long you can eat. Can you eat until the fifth hour, or can you only eat till the fourth hour, Rabbi Yehuda? And then for one hour, you neither eat chametz nor get rid of chametz. Either way, we're in agreement that one hour before noon, you have to destroy chametz. And at that point, uh, and the, the, the basic equation is as long as you're allowed to eat from it, you're also allowed to feed it, feed it to your animals, sell it to a non-Jew, etc. in other words, get benefit from it. And so the Gemara fairly quickly launches into an exploration of this issue of Isur Hana'a. Now Isur Hana'a is something that, as I said, devolves in several areas. It devolves in areas of food, and that's going to be our focus here. It also applies to areas that are not specifically food, and classically, that's Avodah Zarah. That's Avodah Zarah. There is yet another area of Isur Hana'a, and I want to touch on it briefly just so we kind of cover the landscape, and then we'll hone in on the issue of foodstuffs. Um, Isur Hana'a, uh, prohibition of getting benefit, is really anchored in one principle which divides into two polar opposites. And that is something that we're gonna call Kodesh. But I'm gonna mean that in, in something of an odd way. One way is the very straight way, which is something that's holy. You've set, a, you've set it aside for holiness, you're not allowed to get benefit from it. And so you can't uh, use a safer Torah to prop up a door. Um, and that's kind of a mundane example, but you can't use, um, let's say you were makti something in your house, you sanctified something in your house and you haven't delivered it to the Beit HaMikdash yet, you can't use it for any personal benefit, right? So let's say that you had a book and you're makdish that book, you can't now use it as a, um, as a, how do you call it, a doorstop, right? That's getting benefit from it. And if the benefit is measurable, then we get into areas of mi'ilah and what you owe to the Beit HaMikdash, etc. On the exact opposite side, if there is something which is dedicated or devoted to idolatrous purposes, there is a prohibition of Hana'ah. It's at the opposite side because it's the opposite of Kedusha. But it's as if these two things, these two types of things, these two realms are out of bounds for our own Hana'a. One, because it's dedicated to God, not for us to use. The other is because it's abominable. We don't want to get any benefit from it. 
So we talk about everything in the middle. There's yet a third area that we have to touch on again, most briefly. And that is that you are able to independently and with your own initiative, create a status of hectesh on other things that are otherwise neutral. So for instance, you have a book and you say this book, book is hectesh, it is. But there's another way you can do that, which is called nidarim. And remember from Masachet Nidarim that Nidarim actually starts from the Beit HaMikdash. And therefore, if you were to take, um, let's say you want to take a netter not to eat cheesecake, which is not a bad idea, although a netter is a real bad idea. And you were to say, uh, cheesecake is to me like a korban ola, it would be a valid netter. Because what you've done is essentially associated this neutral food stuff with hectish. And it now becomes prohibited in whatever kind of benefit you've stipulated. Just want to talk about th those kind of as general things. However, chametz is part of a, another category, which is a different category than that, which comes from a different place. I'll explain. Isurehara that I just talked about, which really fall into two groups, which are really one group, which is things that are outside of your realm, either because they're sanctified to God or because they belong to an abomination that you want to have nothing to do with. That is hektesh and avodah And the neder gives you the opportunity to associate neutral items, whether foodstuffs or other things, with the area of hektesh, to sort of voluntarily make it hektesh, okay? That's one type of isurana. There is yet a whole, a whole other range, and it's the one we typically think about when we think about isurana, is, uh, is things which are prohibited to eat, and for one reason or another, that prohibition extends beyond simple ingesting to the prohibition of getting benefit, any sort of benefit, right? And, um, and the classic example of that is chametz, and that's kind of why this is the starting place for that discussion. And the sugya that we're looking at, that we're not going to be able to do the whole thing because it's a, a quite involved sugya, but I want to give you a, uh, a taste of it. Um, and we're going to do some methodology of study in looking at the sugya is really what we refer to as a shas sugya. I want to explain that term before we go ahead. You know, when you study, especially studying dafyomi, so every day you're doing a page of Kamara, or in our case, uh, a page and a half, wherever we, we cover usually more. And you're sort of running through it. And um, with the one exception of is this halacha or agada, we don't take time to distinguish between the type of sugyot we're looking at. So we're in the middle of uh, Gitin in the, in the fifth parak or the beginning of the seventh parak. So, okay, suddenly we're in Agadah. So we know that there's uh, the page is going to get bigger and the Rashi is going to get smaller and the discussion is going to get different and uh, we can expect a different kind of presentation. But with, with the, that exception, the exception of that distinction, <clears throat> don't really make distinctions in sugyot, which we would do at a slower pace. And the point of this year is a slower pace. There are some sugyot which are self-contained. For instance, the last two weeks we did the sugyot of Hanukkah. The sugyot of Hanukkah are self-contained. They are about Hanukkah. They touch on other things, but they're about Hanukkah. There are other sugyot that we colloquially refer to as shas sugyot. And they are sugyot that impact on so many other places and draw from many other places. You notice that in the Hanukkah sugyot, that we did, we didn't draw on anywhere else. 
later on, because I'm the sugyot, do draw on a couple other areas. But what we're going to look at is a shas sugyot, and you can see it right away. Look at the source sheet, and the first nine sources are psukim from all over the place. The only book we didn't touch was Bereshi. And so we're going to look at these psukim quickly to get a sense of what it's about. The one thing that these all have in common is they're all prohibited foodstuffs, with one exception, Pasuk 5, which is there as a... Uh, as a, as a piece of a larger as a larger discussion, but they're all prohibited foodstuffs. Now, are these prohibited foodstuffs prohibited in benefit or not? So let me take give you two quick examples, one of each, um, and one of them is not even on here, but it's well known. Basar bechalav, a person takes kosher beef and cooks it with kosher cheese. Are you allowed to sell that to a non-Jew and pocket the money? The answer is no. Basar that's I gave you the classic Basar B'chalav Doraita. Um, basar B'chalav is Asur B'chana'ah. But the Isur Hana'ah there seems to be an expansion and an extension of the Isur Achila. It's like a big Isur Achila. You not only can't eat it uh, gastronomically, you also can't eat it financially, as it were. I'll give you now the other example. You are a shochet. Anybody ever hear Bindo Beit Tashchita? Okay, you're, you're a shochet. And you're shechting uh, animals, and uh, you slip. You slip, and the animal's dead, but the shechita wasn't proper. What do we call that animal? We call it a nevela. We call it nabach, but we call it a nevela. Now, what are you allowed to do with that nevela? You're allowed to sell it. You're allowed to take the money for it. You're not going to get as much money because non-kosher meat <coughs> isn't as expensive as kosher meat, but you'll get money. You're not allowed to eat it. You're not allowed for other reasons to sell it to a Jew because you would be enabling their violating the law. And if they didn't know about it, that would be fraud and there'd be a whole lot of other problems. But you're allowed to sell it to a non-Jew because there's no isur hana'ah, which means that the prohibition of eating a nevelah only reaches as far as ingesting, okay? Now, here's the question I'm gonna put on the table and then we're gonna get started. What should be the default assumption when the Torah prohibits eating? Should the default assumption be that whenever the Torah prohibits eating something that means any sort of benefit and eating is just an example of benefit, unless the Torah goes out of its way to tell you, you can benefit from it, you may not, or should it be the opposite? The, the default understanding is when the Torah says you may not eat it, you may not eat it. That's it. And unless the Torah goes out of its way to identify a prohibition of benefit, you're allowed to benefit. And that's going to, the, solving that equation, solving that question, is going to help us determine what's the nature of Yisur HaNa'ah. Is Yisur HaNa'ah the natural extension of Yisur HaChilah? Not allowed to eat, and by extension, not allowed to benefit? Or is he some other thing that the Torah once in a while throws in? Okay, that's my big introduction. Let's get started. There's a few more introductions along the way, small ones, and then about three quarters of the way through this year, there'll be a bigger introduction when we actually take a look at the sugya. Okay, uh, I'm going to go right in order. These psukim are not in order of the way that they're presented in the text, nor in the order that they are in the, in the, of the Torah. Okay, there's an, there's an extra gold star for anybody to figure out the order. 
ואומר שאל העם, זכור את היום הזה שהצאתם ממצרים בית הלדין, כי בחוזגיה רוציה אדוני אתכם מזה, this is at the beginning of פרשת קדש, the פרשה that we were given as we're leaving מצרים, which lays out some of the perennial laws of פסח, not just the laws for that year, because that's already happened, we're on our way out, but perennial laws for פסח, and then it says, ולא ייאכל חמץ. Now, lo yeachel is a tricky yeah. word because uh, as we do in English, in Hebrew, we have active verbs and passive verbs. But in Hebrew, it's much more efficient and compact. In Hebrew, we simply take the same word and in some cases add a prefix and in some cases even without a prefix, just change around the vowels and an active verb becomes a passive verb. So instead of to eat, to be eaten, Yochal and Yeachel are spelled exactly the same way, and they'll look the same way in the Sefer Torah. But here the word, based on our Masorah, is Velo Yeachel Chametz, which means Chametz may not be eaten. Now, that wording may help us in understanding the range and the, and the reach of the Isur of Chametz. Okay? One thing just to point out is, around here, uh, here is, that he starts, Zachor et hayom hazeh, remember this day that you left Mitzrayim, and chametz shall not be eaten. <clears throat> so remember, it's about the day. Okay, it's so moving on. There's an, an, a pasuk later on in Shemot that has nothing to do with chametz. And then, like I said, it's a shas sugya. We're going to go all over the place. The Torah says, "Vanchei kodesh tiyunli, you shall be holy people to me." Uvasar basedet trefal lo tochelu. Do not eat an animal that was ripped up in the field. Now, when we use the word treif, the way we colloquially use it, we mean anything that's not kosher. But taref really means to be ripped up. It's a word that we hear in this week, and we heard it this morning in the morning. Falmar ach tarof toraf. Yaakov thought that Yosef had been ripped apart by animals. And a trefa is an animal that is otherwise kosher, that has been wounded. Remember, we did a whole difficult parak, third parak of Chulin, elu trefot, that has been wounded in such a way that, at least according to some authorities, it's not going to last a year. In any case, it's something of a mortal wound uh, and very intricate halachot. And a, the Torah here prohibits eating a trefa. And then it says, la kelev throw it to the dogs. Now, does that mean you must throw it to the dogs? It means you may throw it to the dogs. It's broadly understood to mean you may throw it to the dogs. And which dogs is this? Is this your dog or just throw it means it's a way of saying throw it out? So we're going to leave that for right now, but that's going to be important pasuk for us. Perhaps the most important pasuk in this whole sugya is one that has nothing to do with chametz, uh, and it is a pasuk that actually appears in different formulations three times, but uh, this is the one that they pick on, the one in Re'eh. Lo tochlu chol nevelah, you shall not eat any nevelah. La ger asher bisharecha achala, o machor lenochri. That's the highlighted part, which means you may give it to the stranger who lives within your gates and he may eat it or you may sell it to the foreigner. Now, we got to be clear on what terms mean here. What's a ger? So in modern Hebrew, when you use the word ger, what do you mean? Convert. A convert. In the Torah, a ger is not necessarily a convert. You need to look at the context. The word ger means stranger. And there's two kinds of gerim within the halachic framework 
One which is very common, and we have them in our own community, thank God, they're amazing people. And another which is, for the most part, um, an antiquated notion in the sense that, it, that, that the, there's no real form for it to exist today. And that's called ger toshav. A ger toshav is somebody who lives under Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel and has accepted, in front of the Beitins, accepted the seven Noachide laws. And this is somebody who, because both of his loyalty to the Jewish sovereignty and his fidelity to the basic laws, then has special status among the Jewish people. And um, we're going to encounter that in two psukim. So the pasuk here says, you may not eat a nevela. A nevela is an animal that died without proper shechita, meaning either it just got hit by a bus or you try to shecht it and you missed. And, um, but you can give it to the ger who lives in your gates, or you can sell it to the foreigner, the foreigner being an out and out non-Jew who's not a ger. All right. And now the next pasuk you want to look at is similar to the first one, but here it uses the active voice. Lo tochal alav chametz. Now this is referring to the Korban Pesach. And this is how we know that there's a prohibition to own chametz in the afternoon of the 14th, because that's a time you could already be shechting the Korban Pesach. However, lo tochal alav chametz seems to be the prohibition of eating chametz. But there, the prohibition is in the active. You shall not eat chametz. Okay, good. Just, again, filing all these away. Often what we do is we'll do the sugya and go back to the psukim. Here we need the psukim in our arsenal before we touch the sugya. Because remember, when Chazal sat down and discussed these things, they had all this balpeh. They knew the whole thing. They knew all of Tanakh balpeh, and they could refer to psukim by referring to a couple words, and everybody else knew what they were talking about. So let's uh, try to catch up a little bit. Okay. In Parshat Bahar, which is the sort of basic statement of interpersonal financial liability, not tort liability, but support liability, um, welfare, et cetera, things of that, of that sort. Uh, you have the following statement, Pasuk 5. Let's say your brother becomes very poor and he suddenly is very needy. You have to support him. The ger and the toshav, and he has to be able to live with you. And that pasuk is the source of the halacha that we are obligated to financially support gerim. Gerim meaning ger toshav. The non-Jew who has accepted the shav mitzvot, etc., we are obligated to support them, to take care of them if they're in need, etc. Okay, that's, and that's, we're going to file that away. The last um, four psukim are straight up isurayana. <coughs> uh, we'll just quickly, uh, verse 6 is the prohibition of eating blood. However, you notice that I highlighted the whole pasuk because rakadam lotochelu. The second half of the pasuk is ala aris tishpechenu kamayim. Spill it out on the ground like water. Now that's a strange corollary, strange uh, kind of uh, analogy to make, uh, and Chazal are going to pick up on that. All of these psukim are going to be dealt with by Chazal in the midrash in the midrash that we see. Okay, chelav nevelah v'chelav trefa. Verse seven. The fat, remember, we're not allowed to eat fats of animals. What about the fat of a nevela or of a trefa? So does that mean that it's like a double whammy because chelev is asur and nevela is asur? The answer is, Listen to that statement. It may be used for any work. 
You can make soap out of it. You can make shoes out of it. Anything you want, just don't need it. And so here you see a explicit statement, like we saw within the Vela. You're allowed to sell it. You're allowed to benefit here. You're allowed to use it for work. Just don't eat it. Okay, good. Now, the last two are in the field. One of them is Kileha Kerem. Kileha Kerem, we, we've talked about this in the past. There are seven types of Kilayim, Kilayim being forbidden mixtures. The, the notion of forbidden mixture meaning something where the, uh, the item on its own is permitted, uh, but uh, two items that each of them is permitted on their own, but the mixture is prohibited. The classic one, of course, is meat and milk. There's also wool and linen, wool and linen, wool and linen, wool, woolsey, linsey, as they like to call it. Um, there is uh, There are two kinds of kilayim with animals. One is working them together. The other is mating them together. And then there are three of them which have to do in the field. One of them is kilay zra'im, seeds. One is kilay ilan, trees. But the most severe of them is kilay hakerem which is a vineyard and you plant something else in the vineyard, classically grains. In the vineyard, the whole thing becomes asur. Here's the pasuk, pasuk eight. Do not plant kilayim, this mixture in your vineyard. Pentikdash. Now remember how I started? I started by saying that one of the areas of Easter Hanah is hektesh. All right, it's sanctified, it belongs to God. Here, notice the Torah uses this term. Do not plant seeds in your vineyard. The whole thing is going to become hektesh. And here hektesh doesn't mean it's a beautiful thing. Bring it to the Tamikdash. It means it's off limits. It's prohibited to you. And that's Kilea Karim. And the last one is one that we're all familiar with is the law of Orla, which is when you plant a tree for the first three years, you're not allowed to eat it. The way the Torah terms it is, when you come to the land and plant fruit trees, you do you sort of put a shield over the fruit. You, the fruit is covered, as it were. Different ways to read what Orlai is. And again, in the passive. Okay. So I promised you a couple other introductions, and I'll make them quick. The first is source 10, 11, 12, and 13, with a nice little picture, um, is from a literature that is we've talked about in the past, but uh, I'll remind you about because it's something that most people don't directly interact with. We always interact with it in, in, indirectly, I guess the best way to say it, and that is literature that we refer to as Midrash Tanaim. Now, it, for a long time, it was referred to as Midrash Halacha, but it's really a misnomer. What we have is, during the era of the Mishnah, we have two different kinds of literature that are being produced. And again, say literature being produced, all of this is oral, nothing written down. But two kinds of literature being produced. One kind of literature is what we would call apodictic, meaning the statement of a law without source, without discussion, without debate, just the law and without reasoning. Just It's a law, is what it is. So in our Mishnah, we read that for the four hours, you can eat chametz. The fourth hour, you have to stop eating. At the end of four hours, you got to stop eating chametz or biyuda. And then at the beginning of sixth hour, you got to burn it. Zeu. No psukim. No ta ta ta. And then we have the opinion of a mayor who disagrees about the one thing about the hours. That's it. There's another kind of literature that was developed. And by the way, that literature is organized thematically. 
So you'll have a discussion about brachot and tefillah and brachat hamazon, and then you'll have a discussion about various things about Shabbat, and then you'll have a very discussion about things about Yom Kippur or about Sukkot, and it's thematic, and it's going to be organized internally thematically. So when you talk about Sukkot, and we'll talk first about the structure of a proper Sukkah, and then how to live in the Sukkah, and then how, what, what each of the four species has to be like in order to fulfill the mitzvah, and then what the calendar of the holiday looks like. It'll be organized thematically. That is what we call Mishnah, that style of learning. There's a whole other literature, which is called Midrash. And Midrash is not thematically organized, it's textually organized. So for instance, if you want to look in the Mishnah and see something about Shabbat, you will look in Masachat Shabbat. And if you want to see something about the beginning of Shabbat, you'll look at the beginning. And if you want to see laws about the very end of Shabbat, you'll look towards the end. Misha Echshich. Sorry, sorry, but the Lachshich Alatchum. And if you want to see things about Muksa, you'll look in, to, in the latter third. And if you want to see some of the basic rules of, uh, of the Malachot, you'll look in the first third. It's thematically organized. If you want to look things up in Midrash, you've got to look textually. So if you want to look for the Midrashim on Shabbat, you've got to go find the Psukim on Shabbat. Because the sequence and the organization is textual. It follows the order of the Torah. Okay. Now, Midrash Tanim, I'm talking about Midrashim, not Midrashim of, of, uh, of, Mid of Reshit Rabbah, etc. I'm talking about Midrash Tanaim. Midrash Tanaim were happening at the same time. Which came first? Long debates we're not going to get into, but still being debated. Midrash and Mishnah. And in Midrash, what you had is you had uh, different rules that guided the way you looked at Psukim. So you look at a Pasuk and you say, well, I see an extra word in this Pasuk. I see that this Pasuk seems to reference another Pasuk. I see that this Pasuk is written in an unusual way. And that's going to clue me in to Halachot that are buried in that Pasuk. Right? That's called Midrash Halacha. Now the Midrash Tanaim where there are names in the Midrash Tanaim that you all know, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yossi, all names that you know, and Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, um, are chiefly, but not exclusively, focused on halacha. That's why there's no Midrash Tanaim on the Book of Breshi. And that's why the major Midrash Tanaim on Shemot starts in Bo, where the laws of Pesach start. There's no Midrash Tanaim on the beginning of Shemot, at least not in the main one. And the biggest book of Midrash Tanaim is Vayikra, because that's the biggest book of Halakha, and that's called Sifra, the book. If you take a look at the Midrash Tanaim on Bamidbar and Dvarim, it's called Sifri, or Sifrei. It's the other books. The interesting thing, just as a side note, but one that, that, uh, that's going to actually play in for us a little bit, is that as our friend Naftali would tell us, um, somebody who really did the, the, the yeoman's work on identifying the authorship in the Midrash Tanaim was none other than Ramdavid Tzvi Hoffman. Ramdavid Tzvi Hoffman identified that the Midrash Tanaim were of two very different styles. One of them the style of Rabbi Yishmael and one of them the style of Rabbi Akiva. And the interesting thing is that the Sifrei Dvarim, source 10, is clearly from the school of Rabbi Akiva. 
So mechilta, as you can see, source 11, the main mechilta that we have is, it says, mechilta de Rabbi Ishmael. There, we found another mechilta because it was, quote, it was lost to us, but it was quoted by Rishonim, then we found pieces of it, and then we found a lot of it in the Cairo Geniza. So um, it, was, uh, it was published, uh, I think, less than 100 years ago, mechilta de Rabbi Shimon And we don't have the whole thing, uh, and it does start earlier in Shemot, but there, that's where Shemayi Yochai is a student of Rabbi Kiva. Sifrava Yikra is mainly a Rabbi Kiva book. So it's interesting, the different styles of study. Okay, that's my big introduction. I go on forever, but I'm not going to do it. But uh, Sifrei Dvarim. So let's take a look, because we're going to look now at how this works into Midrash, and these are all Midrash Halachat. The Pasuk says about the about the uh, Nevela, right here, source source, source three. Lo Tuchuchol Nevela, you may give it to the ger or sell it to the goy. That's what it says. Watch what we have in the sifre right here. You're allowed or you should give a nevela as a gift to a ger toshav. That's big financial loss. How do I know that I could even give it as a gift to an absolute foreigner? Therefore, it says, How do I know that I'm allowed to sell it to the Gertoshav? Now, we're going to look back at the Pasuk and see what they've done. It's very creative. How do I know I can sell it to the Nochri? So, what you end up with is, meaning you can do whatever you want. You could sell it or give it as a gift to either one of those groups. Okay. Now, how did that happen? Look at the pasuk. I'm going to read it four way. I'm going to read it for four sections. which means you give it to the ger and let him eat it, or sell it to the goy. Those are two options. Watch this. See what I did? I just got very creative about where I'm pausing the sentence. So I can give it to the gear or sell it, right? And now I could say, you can give it or sell it to a guy. And so very creatively, I end up with all four possibilities. That is uh, the Tanakama here. Rabbi Yudomer says, no, you got to read the Pasuk the way it is. Pasuk the way it is says, give it to the ger, sell it to the goy. You're not allowed to give it away to the goy. You're not allowed to sell it to the ger. All right, so Rabbi Yehuda, and we don't know who this is. We'll find out later. It's a mayor. They disagree about how creatively they slice up the pasuk. And by the way, this has huge implications for the way we read Torah. How creatively are we going to look at punctuation? And are we going to deal with punctuation? Okay, so that's one. Now, in the Mechilta of Ishmael, at our first pasuk, Lo Yachel Chametz, he reads as follows. Remember we talked about this being in the passive? Chamech shall not be eaten. Watch what he says. This makes the feeder like the eater. What that means is if the, you're feeding someone else chamech, you are as liable as if you're eating it. And by the way, what's a little unclear is feeding anyone chamech with Gracie? Is that what it means? Unclear. 
And then they said, oh, Eino Ella, nobody got the George Burns reference. Okay. Oh, Eino Ella lo osro Maybe this pasuk is just coming to say you're not allowed to get benefit from chametz. And his answer is, Kshomer lo tochal alav chametz. That was our third pasuk here. Um, fourth pasuk. Which means, by the way, everybody's starting from a starting point, an assumption that chametz, there's a prohibition of hana'ah. The question is, do we even extend it to the point where if you feed it to somebody else, it's considered as if you ingested it? And by the way, Rabbi Yoshia is a classic Rabbi Yishmael guy. He shows up in all the Midrashay Rabbi Yishmael. Rabbi Yitzchak Omer Tzarich. I could prove it to you without your pasuk. Right? And he goes on, I'm, gonna, I'm looking at the clock here, so I'm going to move on to, to the next passage. But I want to show you that they're dealing in the Midrash Halacha with this issue of to what extent the prohibition of eating extends now to a prohibition of benefit. <clears throat> I'm going to skip that down to the last source just because I went through a lot of effort to getting this uh, picture of the Ketavian. I want to show it to you. Okay, What you're looking at is the Sifra Vayikra. Okay? Now, um, um, this is talking about chulin shenishchatu bazara. If you have a mundane animal and inadvertently shechted or intentionally shechted it in the azara, you're not allowed to get benefit from it. Okay, that's going to come up to us for us in our sugya. The midrash halacha asks yachol, and by the way, do you recognize that word yachol from midrash halacha? Does that sound familiar? I know you're all looking very relaxed. Picture that you have some wine. Yeah. Where, where, where is yeah? Where? Oh, I see. I see. On the first. Where do you line. recognize the word yachol from? Yachol mirosh chodesh. Okay, take yourself to the seder. Oh, okay. Remember that the haggadah is midrash halacha. Much of it. Yachol mirosh chodesh. Yachol means I might have thought. However, yachol is a classic Rebbe Akiva terminology. There's a different terminology in Rabbi Ishmael, right? So, yachol lo yachlanu. I might think you're not allowed to eat this. Aval yitilanu lekela, but you could throw it to the dogs. In other words, you could get benefit by feeding it to your animals. Talmud Omar, lekela v'tashlichun oto. A trefa you throw to the animals. Oto tamashlich lekela ve'ena tamashlich lekela chulin shenishchatu ba'azara. Okay, and I did that because I really wanted to show you this because it's just so much fun. What do you see below the text of Source 13? Below the text or above the text? Right there, below the, right there, this thing right here, below the text of Source 13, the bottom of this page. What do you see? Right here. It looks like a, some sort of a mark, like a tropes or stuff. Okay, so this is a Ktaviad. This is the manuscript, written manuscript, which is likely a 10th century manuscript written in Bavel. And I'll show you how we know it's written in Bavel. We're going off topic here, but it's just too much fun. I can't leave it alone. And where would you find it if you wanted to actually see it up close, like in person? British Museum. Vatican, <laughs> right there. Okay, and it's classified oh, as Vatican, Vatican 66. Uh. That's 
that's what it's called, Vatican 66. You can get to this on a web. Just send me an email. I'll send you the link. You can see this on the website. And you can go through the whole. Now, the entire Sifra, the entire, this is the best caveat we have of the Sifra. And it is an elegant, you can see it's elegant writing. Uh, but when, one of the things that you see here, and by the way, this is, this Yaholo Yachlanu starts right here, right at where my cursor is. So when you see it, Yaholo Yachlanu? Now, this has Nikudot. Do you see it has, it has vowels? Where are the vowels? Oh, a vowel. The vowels are all above the letters. This is Babylonian vocalization. When Nikudot were invented in the 7th and 8th centuries, the 9th, there were two systems. Just like with trope, there were two systems. There was the Babylonian system and the Tiberian system. We all ended up ad adopting the Tiberian system, which is for Nikudot, they're chiefly below the letters. The Babylonian system has them above the letters. So I just want to show to Yachol lo yochalenu aval yitzilenu lekelev tamud lomar Tamud Lomar, Lakelev Tashtikun Oto, Oto at Mashtik Lakelev, Enatam Mashtik Lakelev, Kulinch Nishatu Bazara. So just for fun, Vatican 66, a very beautiful. That's a period above the hay. What? That's a period above the hay. At above the end of the hay. The hay, about at the end. Yeah, it seems to be some sort of a period, like an end, like that's the end of a particular halacha. Right. And there's all sorts of interesting little drawings and acrylicues here, and it's unclear to me what they are. I'm not at all an expert in thinking, but yeah, but I just thought I'd show it to you because it's kind of interesting. Okay, let's go to our sugya because, uh, you know, we have to carpe the diem because, uh, after all, Tempest is fugiting. Okay, here we go. Amar chizkia. Minayin lachametz bepesach shasur bahana'a. All right, and that, by the way, everything we've said is leading to this line. How do we know that you're not allowed to get Hana'a from Chametz on Pesach? Benefit. Shinamar lo yeachel Chametz. He's quoting the Pasuk that uses it in the passive. Chametz shall not be eaten. And he says, lo yehebo heter achila, meaning there is no permission for eating, meaning if you in any way are enabling its eating, you violated that law. Eating by anybody. So selling it to somebody, they're going to eat it or whatever, right? Now, does that mean you could use it for fuel? You could turn it into fertilizer? Maybe. Now, Now we're analyzing what Chizkiah said. Chizkiah, by the way, was one of the sons of Rabbi Chia. So this is now second generation in Israel after the Mishnah, second generation after the Mishnah. The only reason that you say that is because the Torah said, Lo yeachel chametz. So if the Torah had not written it in the passive voice, I would have thought that all I have is a prohibition of eating, not a prohibition of Hana'ah. In other words, my default position is if the Torah prohibits eating, it's only eating and I can get Hana'ah. I can only not eat it. That's Chizkiah. He is at odds with Rabbi Avahu. Rabbi Avahu is third generation Eretz Yisrael. Rabbi Avahu, big student of Rabbi Yochanan, Chief Rabbi of Caesarea. The Amar Komakom Shinamar Lo Yochal Lo Tochal Lo Tochlu. Anywhere the Torah says, don't eat it. Echad Isur Achila, Echad Isur Hanaa. In other words, what? And this is what the question I asked in the in the beginning of the year. 
what is the default assumption about a prohibition of eating? Is it the Torah just prohibits eating and that's it? Unless it goes out of its way, they'd say like lo yeachel or something weird or hektesh, in which case you're not allowed to get benefit. Or is the default that if the Torah prohibits eating, it includes benefit. Unless it goes out of its way to say you may benefit. And he says, unless it explicates the permission to get benefit like it did in the case of Nevela. And here we got to step back and ask. We saw in the case of Nevela that the Torah says, sell it, give it away. The Torah says in the case of a trefa, you could give it to your dogs. Why would the Torah have to tell me I could sell it or give it away or feed it to my dogs? If, if the assumption were that when the Torah prohibits eating, it's only eating. In other words, why would the Torah have to go out of its way to say you're allowed to get benefit from it unless the default was I can't? And that's where Rabbi Avahu comes from. Rabbi Avahu starts by saying, look, the Torah goes out of its way to say, you may not eat this, but this one you could sell. That leaves the very strong impression that whenever the Torah says you may not eat something, it extends to selling it or any other kind of benefit. And then he quotes the Brita. Does this Brita look familiar? The Tanya. All I know is that I can give it to a ger or sell it to a non-Jew, a full non-Jew. How do I know I could sell it to a ger? Again, a ger being a ger toshav. Again, fast and loose with the punctuation. You parse it differently, you end up with something very different. Remember we talked about that a long time ago? All right. Uh, no parking anytime, right? Or no U turn or speed, check by radar. You know, just where you put the comma, change everything. Doesn't work with the policeman, but try it. Okay. Okay. So now, how do I know that I can give it as a gift to a non Jew? That was in our Midrash Halacha. And now we find out who the author of that opinion is, Divrei Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Dvarim Kichtavam. That's all he said in the Midrash Halacha. I know we get more. Leger benetina ulegoi b'mechira. He says, you got to do exactly what the Pasuk says. You want to sell it, you have to sell it to a goi. You're not allowed to sell it to a ger. You want to give it to the ger, you got to give it to him. You can't sell it to him. And you want to give it, you can only give it to the air, you can't give it to the guard. So you got to do it exactly that way. Okay? Now, um, um, good. So let's let's continue with this because we, we need to see this in order to take this, take this piece apart. Um, so now, my Talmud Rabbi Yehuda. Why does Rabbi Yehuda say that we have to stick to exactly the way the Pasuk says it and not mix and match and say the Torah is giving us two options, sell it or give it away, and two different target groups, and we could do either one? His answer is, now of course we don't know this, we're conjecturing. If you think Rabbi Meir is right, that the Pasuk is mixing, mixing and matching, in other words, look at the Pasuk again. We can see it right here. Which would mean give it or sell it. Right? 
Olamali. What does O mean? Or. So, yeah, but what does or do? Or is a disjunct. Right. So what does it do? Does it mean you can only do it this way or that way? Or does it mean with either of these groups, you could do this or that? Because you can't simultaneously give something away and sell it. So how does he read it? He says the word O, that little O in there. Let's take a look at the original. The word O right there separates the two and says you can either do A with group one or B with group two. And that's it. And the word O separates them. That's Rabbi Huda. Now, Reb has got an answer for that. And he's got to remember this. Reb and Reb Yehuda have the same Sefer Torah. They have the same O in their Sefer Torah. And they read the same Pasuk and come up with different conclusions, which means each one's got to account for the words that the other one uses. Okay, so let's see it. Reb Meir says, you know what the O is there for? It's not to tell you you can either do A1 or B2, but it's to tell you that A1 is the preferred way to do it. The best thing to do is give it away as a gift to a ger. Rabbi Yehuda says, I don't need a pasuk for that. Remember what we saw earlier, the pasuk from Vayikra? You're obligated to financially support the ger. So right away, I know. If I have a choice, the first thing I got to do is give it to a ger. That's, that's already built into the system. I don't have that obligation towards a regular non-Jew. So, uh, so therefore, I don't need a pasuk. It's just the basic reasoning within the value system of the Torah is that a ger comes first. So clearly the preferred thing to do is to give it to the ger. Right? So be smaller of mayor. Now here we're going to get into our issue. I understand Reb Meir who says I could do either one with either group. So now I understand the Torah had to go out of its way to say you're allowed to get hung off from a Nevela. Sell it, give it to this guy, to that guy, doesn't matter. What do I infer from there? Why, according to our mayor, why did the Torah go out of its way to say I could sell it or give it away? It must mean that every other prohibition, like eating blood or eating creepy crawlies or whatever it is, I'm not allowed to get benefit either. Why did the Torah say you could sell this one or give it away? To tell you, this is the only one that you could actually do that with. <laughs> but according to Yehuda, it doesn't work that way. Because according to Rabbi Yehuda, why does the Torah write, give it to the ger and sell it to the goy? Because to tell you, those are the only two outcomes that are allowed. You may not give it away as a gift to a goy. You may not sell it to a ger. Those are the only two outcomes that are allowed. Give it to the ger, sell it to the goy. And therefore, so now we're rolling back to Rabbi Avahu, who's the star of the show today. Rabbi Avahu said the following, I'll recap it. He said, every time the Torah says you may not eat, you may not ingest it, it means you may not get benefit. It's implied. Except when the Torah goes out of its way to say you may. And where's the classic source where the Torah says you may? Nevela. And now we take a look and we cut into our Nevela. And we see that in the case of the Nevela, Reb Meir seems to fit that. Because Reb Meir says that the Torah is telling me that I could sell it or I could give it to either one. 
And the Torah wrote it the way it, it did to tell me that one goes first, that there's a preference. In other words, according to a mayor, um, it's there to tell me the preference, but the assumption is why the Torah tell, sorry, why the Torah tell me that uh, I may sell it or give it away because most things I'm not allowed to. Because the default is the prohibition of eating is a prohibition of, of Hanah. But according to Rabbi Yehuda, who says the Torah wrote A1, B2 to tell me A1 and B2 are the only things possible. Gift to a ger, sell to a goy. That's all that's possible. That means I understand why, he, why the Torah wrote it. And that means that I have no basis for saying that the default is an Isra Hanah. You follow? It's a little twisty. Mm -hmm. um, I'll do it one more time. I'll clarify. We work with the following, and, and this is more more general statement. We work with the following assumption in Midrash. That the Torah is not going to tell me something that I already know. Right? The Torah is not going to tell me something I already know. So if the Torah seems to be telling me something I already know, there's something else there that I didn't know that it's informing me about. So now, if I already know that when the Torah says don't eat, it includes a prohibition of benefit, then why would the Torah say you could, uh, and then, then I understand why here the Torah has to say you could sell it or give it away, because this is the exception to the rule. But if the purpose of this pasuk is to tell me who to give it to and how, then the Torah had to write it to teach me something that there's no way I would know. And I still could start with the assumption that everything the Torah prohibited me to eat, I'm allowed to get benefit. When it comes to a nevela, it's a particular kind of benefit. Gift to this one, sale to that one. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, how do I know this principle? So what's so what's the default? You can get benefit. That's exactly what we're trying to get to. Okay. According to a mayor, it seems that we're pretty on pretty solid ground. The default is you may not get benefit, and that's why here the Torah had to go out of its way to say here you could get benefit. Here you're allowed with the nevela. But why but do you have Rabbi to? Huda, who says that this verse is needed to tell me details about the benefit? I could start by saying the Torah's default is you may get benefit. And that here the Torah is just giving me details, telling me what kind of benefit to get. So, what's Rabbi Yehuda's source for saying that there's a general prohibition of Hanah? The answer is, Remember, we saw about the trefa? You could throw it to the dogs. Mm -hmm. The only thing you're allowed to feed to your dogs is this prohibition. You're not allowed to feed other prohibitions to your animal. In other words, the word oto, they're reading as exclusive. You may not eat a trefa. You may give it to your dogs. And the implication is, this is one prohibition you're allowed to get benefit from by feeding it to your animals. But a regular prohibition, you're not allowed to get benefit from. If you're not allowed to eat it, you're not allowed to get benefit. Right? So, so in other words, Rabbi Yehuda used, would, we're saying, no, Rabbi Yehuda never said this. We're saying that Rabbi Yehuda could rely on this pasuk Again, with the premise that the Torah is not going to tell me something I already know. If I already knew that I could get benefit from everything, I just can't eat them. The Torah wouldn't have to say you could throw it to the dogs. Because of course I could. Why wouldn't I? 
Why would the Torah say you could throw it to the dogs? Because this is the one exception where I'm allowed to give it to my animals. And other prohibitions, I'm not allowed to get benefit. All right? So now, um, Rameir says, and then you see why I showed you that Sifra with the fancy Taviyad. Rameir says, no, you know, is therefore a specific rule, which is the Chulin when you inadvertently or otherwise shechted Chulin in the Azara, they're prohibited by and you're not allowed to throw them to the dogs. In other words, is not extra because it's honing in on one particular law. And Rabbi Yehuda's answer would be and therefore the Torah couldn't be referring to it. Now, I want to just quickly take us ahead because I want to show you what happens in the Sugyan. And as you can see, I, I went to small print here. Because I want to show you the following. Rabbi Avahu established a principle. Every time the Torah prohibits something from being eaten, implied in that prohibition and an extension of that prohibition is benefit. Which is, by the way, why we can't get benefit from chametz because the Torah says you can't eat chametz. The default is you can't get benefit. That's Rabbi Avahu. That's chametz, nothing special. You can't get benefit like everything else. And if, <clears throat> and now we are going to challenge Rabbi Avahu four different times, actually five different times. Time one is Gidan Hashem. Now I want to think now structurally about how do you mount a challenge to this. Rabbi Avahu's rule was every time the Torah prohibits eating, it also implies a prohibition of benefit. We challenge him. How do you mount the challenge? Well, you find examples to the negative. Right. Good. And so what do we have to find in those examples? Right. What do we have to find? What? In those examples? Why do you have to tell me to spill out the blood? Because that would be since was uh, the it says the the blood you shall you, you shall spill on the ground so that implies that i wouldn't get any benefit for it yeah good we're going to get to that we're going to get to that that's number okay. two but how do i mount a challenge so you're right i have to find a counter example right you're right sherwin how do i how do i present that um i don't mean specifically the words structurally how do i present it how this is the methodology right how do i Mount a challenge to a to a sweeping statement. Everywhere the Torah says you can't eat, you can't get benefit. How do I challenge that? Because by the way, you see, there's five challenges here: Gidon Ashad, Dam, which Bill talked about, Avram and Achai, Shor and Iskal, and um, and Orla. Right. So how do I mount the challenge? What's the first thing I got to do? So it would be a case where. <laughs> It'd be a case where the, it's it's obvious it's obvious that it would be permitted. Well, what's you, forbidden? That, Eating or that, No, that that you you can get hana from it. Right. So how do I? So again, so how do I mount the case? You're right. I mount the case by first showing that there the Torah says don't eat, right? That's the first thing. The Torah says uh, don't it, eat, and then I've got to prove somehow that I'm allowed to get benefit. That's how I challenge it. Here we go. Rahman Amar, right here, Gideon Hashem. Right, the sinew is like almost partial a couple weeks ago. Okay, so that's part one. The Torah prohibits eating gidan hashet. 
and we have the famous Mishnah in Chulin, which is you're allowed to send as a gift or sale a thigh to a non-Jew that has the gid in it. The only concern we would have would be that the non-Jew would turn around and then sell it to a Jew saying, it must be kosher, I bought it from a religious guy. And then inadvertently he'd been, so the answer is no, could, the, the, the Mishnah explains because you can see where the gid is, okay. But the point is, you're selling it to the guy, which means what are you doing? You're getting enough from, from it. You're yeah. selling it to him for $1,000. And of the $1,000, $20 is the gid. I don't care the amount. Point is, I'm getting enough from it. So now I have an exception, <clears throat> a challenge to the rule. Because here the Torah said, uh, don't eat it. The Torah never said, sell it, give it away. It didn't say any of that stuff. It said, don't eat it. And yet we have a clear Mishnah that says, I'm allowed to get benefit. Okay, what about dumb? Well, why can't you declare that it's another, it's another ex exception? Good, and then I got to find why it's an exception. You're right, 100%. It's an exception. The only way Rabbi Avahu is going to stand, and by the way, Rabbi Avahu is long gone by the time this happens. The only time that, the only way that Rabbi Avahu is going to stand is if Rabbi Avahu can somehow, or we can on his behalf, demonstrate that this is an exception. Right? Maybe Rabbi Avahu was the school of thought that says you're not allowed to get Hanah. Maybe Rabbi Avahu has a different perspective on Gidon Asheh. It's got to be a local answer. It can't be a global answer because that's going to mess up his theory. Hmm. Okay. The next thing that we see is we're going to go back over these. I think I have a feeling that we're going to have to do this as a two-parter, but it, it's it's a glorious sugi. It's a great sugi. Or a dam. What about dam? Dam's a problem. How do I know dam's a problem? Again, dam meaning animal blood. Right? How do I know that? What what have I what have I got to put into my argument to make the argument be an argument? I have, two, I have to put two things here to make it to make it be a challenge. Now, wasn't there an issue where the blood would congeal if you shechted an animal, the blood would congeal and then you could use it for another purpose? Okay, so you're telling me I'm allowed to get an off and dumb, right? Yes, yes. Okay, good. So what do I have to do again to mount the challenge? I've got a quote of Pasuk that says, Kol nevish become lotochal. I got to say, you're not allowed to eat. Got a Pasuk that says, you can't eat dumb. And then what else do I have to do? I have to find the law that says I'm allowed to get benefit. Right? That's the structure of the argument. And it goes on. Avram and Achai, the same thing. Okay? We'll talk about this next week. We're going to do this. We're going to take this sugi apart in greater detail because we have a lot more to do, including just wanted to show you out of interest, the Yerushalmi goes through the same things in a different perspective. The same series of challenges in a different, different perspective. So we're going to hold it right here. It's exactly 4.30. It's time for Mincha. And uh, we're going to hold it right here. We're going to pick it up next week. At this time, part two, we surah Hanah. And we're going to branch off a little bit into, uh, into some other issues and arguments. But what I really wanted to do, and we did over the course of the last hour, was to show you some of the structural methodological issues at play. One of the things I want to just whet your appetite is what we're going to do next time also we're going to look at our sugya structurally. We're going to look at the different parts of our sugya and how they interact with each oh. other. Okay? Because what we're really trying to do is to gain some method in learning. Okay? So everybody have a, uh, a great day. Stay healthy. Have an easy fast this, uh, this coming Friday. And um, 
And uh, I am going to share on Wednesday, if anybody's interested, on um, the fast of the 8th of Tevet. This Wednesday is the 8th of Tevet. So if you want to find out over lunch why we're why some people one day, one day used to fast um, and a lot more interesting stuff, then send me an email, send you the link, and be happy to join us. Okay. Take care. Thank and you. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you.